asked me to take a walk with him. He didn't say anything for the longest time. And then he turned to me and he said, Woodman, we need each other. Words and music. And he crossed his fingers, showing how they go together. Remember, words and music. Welcome to the Words and Music Podcast. It is episode nine, quarantine edition. <laughs> we have no musician, songwriter, singers of any kind in the studio with us this morning. Well, and we have a very creative person, though, a very creative person, my daughter, Emily. Yeah, so I should really be doing the introduction since you're right. being interviewed. <laughs> so here's how this is going to work. We started to figure out, because obviously we're all in self-quarantine right now. We can't get together with our friends and family like we want to. And so I couldn't necessarily get a, an artist for the podcast episode. So my daughter and I came up with the idea, hey, how about if you interview me? I'm trying really hard not to just make really crazy noises into the microphone. <laughs> you can make as many crazy noises as you want to. Let me set the scene for you, folks. We're sitting in our basement. Off the back of the basement is a room that we are now using for a home studio where since my daughter came home from New York in the middle of March due to the quarantine. Well, actually, you had plans to come home anyway. It yeah, was, it was spring break. Yeah. For and a week. You were going to stay for a week, but you've been stuck here since March 13th. Yeah. Friday the 13th didn't go well for you, safe to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I got here safe. You got here safe and sound, but unfortunately you can't get back. And yeah. she said to me the other day, hey, mom, remember when I moved to New York City? <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> she'll get back to New York City eventually. In the meantime, though, she's taking her acting classes here in the basement over Zoom meetings and video chats and things like that. So we're making it work. Yes. And I'm also doing uh, one of my radio shows from the basement studio, which is kind of cool. It's been fun sort of learning all of the equipment, which we're going to learn a lot more about now because we've never used it to podcast. So this is really tough for me to turn the, the hosting duties over. Yeah, I mm, clearly. I don't know if this was a good idea. But <laughs> well, we have a, we now. have a bottle of wine. It's open. We've clinked our glasses and we are enjoying some Moscato tonight. And you actually wrote some questions down, I did. though, right? Yes. All right, I'm going to sit back um, and let you take over now. I wrote them in my little Iron Man notebook, <laughs> which is kind of perfect. So I actually, I wrote these like three weeks ago and I haven't looked at them since. That's so how long we've been talking about doing it this. It was like midnight. Um, I'm not really sure what's on here. So good luck. How many White Claws were you in? I have no idea. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, all right. Um, it's always great to start off saying. Um, That's, you know what? Entertaining. See, I told you this was going to be a bad idea. Okay. No, this is a great idea. You can do this. All right. So normally when I get an artist across from me, my my topic of conversation is their musical journey. And I always want to start at the beginning, you know? So. Oh yeah. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. So first of all, when did you get into radio? It was 20 something years ago. When, when physically did I get into radio? Yes. Physically. September 1st, 2000. When did you first know you wanted to get into radio? I was eight years old. Eight years old people. <laughs> I was eight years old. And, and how did you know <laughs> There were there are boxes in the other end of this basement, as a matter of fact, that contain cassette tapes, old cassette tapes of me at the age of eight years old, pretending to be a DJ, um, hitting record 
on my own self and introducing um introducing songs on the radio that yeah you would like cut out the people on the actual radio I talk over it yeah because I was terrible at it and and then I would say things like that was climax with I miss you on and it was KDWB I was in St. Paul Minnesota where I grew up and KDWB was the popular station the big top 40 station it's still there it's still there it's still rocking and rolling it's still doing its thing and still one of my favorite stations of all time so that's when Shout I knew. KDWB. Amen. Is that what, is that's that when right? I knew I wanted to be a radio DJ. Okay. I just eight years was, old. Eight years old. And I would listen to the uh, the Casey Kasem American mm-hmm. Top 40 Countdown every Saturday. And when he always sat, he always sat at the end of the show. He said, what, how did he put it? Keep your feet on the ground, but keep reaching for the stars. And I don't know why that was so inspiring to me, but it was. It's inspiring. I like that. I like that. I like it a lot. And <laughs> so that's where it got, I got my start. Yeah, um, when I was eight. Well, how <laughs> how then did it all begin? So, so in high school, in the nineties, the early nineties, I graduated high school in nineteen ninety three, and in the early nineties, um, you still had home economics classes. Did you have home ec? I did. I had one, and it was terrible. I liked it, but the, anyway. Well, so, what was involved in your home ec classes? Um, sewing. Sewing cooking. and cooking, yeah. We had to take home a robot baby, which I still have nightmares about. That's terrifying. Yeah, it was We awful. had an egg, oh a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> I would have rather had an egg. <laughs> so it, we had a money and, man, money and marriage class oh, back then because in the early 90s, your, your, your set path in life was graduate high school, go to college, find a husband, pop out some babies, Gross. buy a house. You know, all of those things were what society said you had to do. So in my money and marriage class, we had to plan a wedding, right? <laughs> Basically scrapbook a wedding. It's like Saved by the Bell. Right. So when I was busy planning my wedding, the other, the other th- facet of that class was what are you going to do for a living? So right as soon as I was, I think, 16 or 17, they started to really put the pressure on you for to figure out what your career was going to be. And, um, and then in another class, aside from money and marriage, so in mean, one time, yeah, at one hand I was planning my wedding, which was horrifying. I mean, like my honeymoon in the Poconos with champagne glass shaped hot tubs. Terrifying. If I think back on it now, <laughs> and I think my, my wedding colors were like red, black, and white. Be- I mean, like, remember the movie, The Wedding Singer? Spooky. Yes. Every <gasps> wedding from that movie oh was what was in my head back in the, in the <laughs> early nineties. Yeah, it was bad. So in one class, we're planning our wedding and the other class, we're planning our career path. Right. And I had to write a paper on what I intended to do. Um, after high school. And my plan was to become a writer. I was going to become a writer. I was going to write books. That was my plan A. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote this paper, my teacher kind of looked at me and said, you might want to think of something uh, more realistic, more realistic, because this is not realistic. (laughs) Right? So I... I That sounds familiar. Right. Of course it does. And so anytime I think that you want to go into a career that has any sort of risk involved or any sort of um, unconventional way of manifesting itself, people are going to say, that's going to be too hard. You better think of something else. Have a backup plan. Have a backup plan. That's my favorite. Have a, just have a plan B just in case. Plan B. That's what, that's what they called it. You need to have a plan B. So my plan B was the other thing that I did a lot was listen to the radio. I always had the radio on. The radio was constantly on in my room. I was always calling the radio station and requesting songs. I was always, you know, when the when the DJs would go out and um, DJ our school dances, 
you know, we were fascinated by these freaks. <laughs> and I say, I use that term of in, as a term of endearment and everybody in radio knows that we're all freaks. We're all a little bit on the freaky side, but that's what makes us wonderful. So my plan B was radio. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good plan B. I thought so. I thought so. So then when it came time to apply to colleges, mm-hmm. I applied to a couple different universities, got accepted, but it wasn't financially possible for okay. me to attend a four-year university. So then I looked at a broadcasting school in Minneapolis, Brown University. It's not there anymore. It's closed down. But I know a lot of great radio DJs who came out of Brown. Um, and uh, in fact, one of them on my direct competition right here in this town is a graduate of Brown University. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, Brown School of Broadcasting. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, uh I was a week away from starting at Brown mm-hmm. when I was, I was living at my mother's house. I had just graduated high school, so I was 19, and I was engaged to your brother's father, mm-hmm. my ex-husband, and he was off at basic training in San Antonio for the Air Force. So I'd get bored, and I would dedicate songs to him, <laughs> and I was listening to this DJ at, K- at KDWB. And uh, his name was Jake Calhoun, right? And I called him up one night and he, he got to talking to me. He liked the way that my voice sounded. So he had me cut a couple of promos. And we do this now all the time. Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you say, yeah. you know, and you give him a script to read. So I would do that for him a couple nights a week, right? He was on the seven to midnight guy, right? Back when <laughs> those guys were alive. And Jake Calhoun and I got talking one night about how I was about to start at Brown. And he was like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go to broadcasting school. I'll get you an internship for $1,000. Give me three months, and then I'll get you a part-time job. So I'm 19, and I'm dumb as a stump about all of this. I had no idea what I was just fascinated by. So I immediately called off my plans to go to Brown School of Broadcasting. I was done with that. That was a dumb idea. I'm going to go work at a radio (laughs) station. Terrible idea. My now ex-husband came home on leave. And we're driving around um, in my hometown and we're listening to Jake on the radio. And he comes out of a slow song and he starts heavy breathing into the microphone. Oh God. Like back then it was a sign of like a, an obscene phone call, right? Oh God. So my then fiance hears this and forbids me to take this internship. So here I am. I can't afford to go to college. Right. Mm -hmm. I have shut down my broadcasting school that I was about to start. Shut it down. Shut it down. Because I had this great opportunity. Now that opportunity was over, which was a good thing. I would find out many years later that he ended up getting fired for doing inappropriate things with an intern. Oof. Yeah. So, (laughs) So in a roundabout way, it was a blessing in disguise. But at that point in my life, 19 years old, my dream of getting into radio ended. It was done. So I went to work in retail, mm-hmm. worked at a hardware store for quite a few years. Um, and then I worked at, I worked as an assistant, an executive assistant. I did payroll. I did, you know, just whatever, office jobs. And I was working as an executive assistant to this guy in Grand Forks, North Dakota, where you were born. Where I was born. Where you were born. And I hated my job. I hated my job. I hated my boss. He was one of those horrible, horrible, horrible people. Karma got him in the end. Lesson here is men ruin everything. No, that's not necessarily true. (laughs) Not necessarily true. But this man 
was just a real evil mm-hmm. person. Yeah. He used to say really inappropriate things to me. And I mean, when I was pregnant with you, he asked me if I was giving birth to a hippo. Um, it just and a long list of reasons to hate that job. So one day I'm sitting in the, um, actually back up. You guys, you guys were at a daycare center and your daycare center closed down. I had to take you to a different daycare center. I realize this is becoming a very long story, <laughs> but I promise it has a good ending. My foot's falling asleep. As a matter of fact, I need to move. <laughs> All right, there we go. You shouldn't sit on your foot when you're trying to do a podcast. So I started driving across town to take you kids to a different daycare center. And on my way was the radio station that I listened to in Grand Forks, North Dakota, XL 93. Mm -hmm. We drove past the radio station on the way to school or on the way to your daycare. And I drove past it on the way home. And every time I drove past it, I would just sort of send a little prayer out into the universe. to the radio gods. And I would just say, just get me in the door. Just get me in the door. I will do the rest. Just get me in the door. I will do the rest. And one day I'm sitting at my horrible job in the break room and I was reading the newspaper and in the newspaper was a classified ad for looking for a copywriter for a magazine. But I recognized that it was at the time it was clear channel radio. Now, iHeart, right? So um, back then, this was 2000. So I interviewed to be a copywriter on a magazine piece that the radio station published. Like I said, just get me in the door. I will do the rest. The job was 9 to 2.30. It was part-time. And it was like $7.50 an hour. Now, at that time in my life, I was making about $40,000 a year as an executive assistant. So I was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. It was you, me your brother and your dad living together. Right. right? And I no, I take that back. Your dad and I had split Mm -hmm. by that time. Um, So I was looking at taking a more than 50% pay cut and going down to (laughs) part-time hours. And I took it. Sounds like a movie. I took it. I took it and it was a struggle. It was such a struggle. And, um, but I walked in there and I started, I went to work as the part-time promotions assistant. And I designed little business card size ads on an Apple iMac, you know, <laughs> for uh, what, what started out as a, a bi-weekly newspaper and then turned into a monthly magazine. I wrote silly articles about bridal season and, <laughs> you know, just whatever was going on around town, right? And I used to sit in this little cubicle that was at the end of a row, uh, sort of of offices and stuff. And one day I see out of the corner of my eye, someone rushing towards me, just rushing towards me. And I'm like, whoa. And it kind of took, you know, I just kind of jumped. It was Rick (laughs) Aker. You giggle because you know him. You know him. You grew up with him. Rockin' Rick was who he went by. And he was, for all intents and purposes, the heartthrob of Grand Forks, (laughs) North Dakota. At the time he had this, he was this beautiful man with these frosted blonde tips on his head. (laughs) And all I see in my mind when I think of him. Oh yeah. The frosted tips. What, what I did not know was that he was the program director for XL 93, the station that I listened to. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I, I turn and I look and here comes rock and Rick. Right. So I am (laughs) starstruck, dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say or do, but he had his hand outstretched. He just wanted to say hello introduced himself to me, shook my hand. And it was like, 
it was like one of those moments that you always remember just yeah. because it was a literal turning point in my life. Yeah. When Rock and Rick saw me sitting there and he didn't know me from anybody. You know, he just, he probably, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And he probably thought, Hey, who's this cute little blonde over here? Right. Cause I was 23, 24. Anyway. Um, a couple of weeks later, I was at the copy machine and rock and Rick walks by and he says, what do you want to do? And I looked at him and I said, I want to do what you do. Little did I know what he did. I mean, I knew he ran the place as yeah. far as I knew he was in charge of the radio station that I loved. Yeah. And there was, um, there was four other stations at that particular building. Mm -hmm. There was a five station cluster. All I knew is XL 93 was my favorite station. It's what I'd been yep. listening to since 1994. When I moved into Grand Forks, <laughs> I knew every personality. I knew every song they played. I knew everything about the station. So I said that to Rock and Rick. And I remember my old general manager from that station, Pat McLean, who I love, like an, uh, also the best, best, best guy. I remember he was standing there. He was doing something near me in the same copier area. So he, this conversation he heard the conversation because it was just sort of in passing. And he's like, what do you want to do here? And I was new. Yeah. And I said, I want to do what you do. And he's like, oh, okay. And he kept walking. Now, Rock and Rick was always, the, he was the kind of guy, and he still is, I bet, who asks you a question and then walks away while you answer. <laughs> because he's so busy. He's always yeah. doing something. So he would be like, hey, what are you doing? And then he would literally start backing up. Because he didn't have a whole lot of time. He was probably coming out between songs. You know what I mean? To, to have this conversation. And now I got to get back to the station because whatever, we're on the air. So when Pat McLean heard me say that I wanted to do what Rick did, he tried to steer me in the other direction. He was like, I, you know, he wanted me in promotions. He wanted me in the uh, office. He wanted me on the business end mm -hmm. of radio. He did not want me to jump to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all I ever wanted. Yeah. So first thing Rick did was put me in a television commercial for the radio station. What? Reminded me, I or just I was cute. I was cute, right? And <laughs> that and, makes and, sense. That's and so I was free labor. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Right. At the time they didn't have to pay yeah. actresses to be in their TV commercial. So I was in a TV commercial. I think my entire job was just to flip my hair and say XL 93, That's right? Old people. Big smile. <laughs> right. And the next thing he did was he started to use me as a voice in C promos, which C promos at the time were, they're the, the promos you hear between the music that, that sound like listeners talking. You know, oh. XL 93 is my favorite station, yeah. you know, things like that. You have to sound really excited and whatever. So he would use me to cut those pieces okay. and he'd put those together and then I'd get to hear myself on the radio, which gave me the thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> you know, it was the coolest thing ever. And then once he figured out that I wasn't bad sounding, <laughs> that he offered me, um, I think it was, he offered me an overnight voice track uh, job where you, you voice track in the middle of the night and voice tracking is just pre-recording. You pre-record some breaks in the middle of the night and you sort of get your chops. That's how a lot of people learn how to be on the yeah. radio. And then he gave me a weekend shift. Ooh. I still remember it like it was yesterday. I was shaking like a <laughs> leaf. I thought I was going to lose my mind. And um, the man who would become my first morning show co-host, Dave Andrews, mm -hmm. was there with me. At the time, his name was Dangerous Dave, and he was the... <laughs> Wait, it's the, not the, anymore? It's not anymore. Oh, gosh. Well, Dangerous, <laughs> Dangerous Dave, as my mother would call him, Dangerous. Um, <laughs> that kind of went away when the format change happened. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he, 
he, uh, he stood there with me and he coached me through it and he trained me on the board and he trained me on what to say and the formatics and everything. And at the time Dave was, I'm trying to remember, I think he was the night guy on XL 93 for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, um, he, he taught me everything. And then I remember I did my first break and I was so nervous. (laughs) I was shaking and I was freaking out. And the next studio over was the classic hits studio, Mm -hmm. the classic rock station. Right. And Kevin Hendricks was in there and Kevin Hendrickson, he was like the big blues guy in town. Right. So he was this veteran DJ who's been Mm -hmm. doing this for a million years, knows everything there is to know about radio, everything there is to know about music. He knows all of Led Zeppelin's deep cuts. You know, he's that guy. Right. (laughs) He comes out and he goes, I mean, he, remember he pops his head into the studio and he goes, who just did that? Who, who's on the air? And I was like, that was me. And he was like, damn, you sound like you've been doing this for a while. Oh! And I remember just being like blown away, blown away. So there was that little piece of confidence boost that morning. Yeah. And then also Dave Andrews, who was there training me, he asked me if I was nervous. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> so nervous. And he said, if you're nervous, it means you're excited. And those things, you know, they stick with me. It means you care. It means you care. It means you're excited. And I tell you what, I still sometimes get those butterflies and that adrenaline rush Mm -hmm. when I'm doing something on the air or more often than not, I do it when I'm on a live stage. Yeah. I get those butterflies and that little flush of anxiety and that, oh my God, this is a huge moment. Yeah. And I hear Dave in my head say, if you weren't nervous, it mean it means you're not excited. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're nervous because you're excited. Aww. And so, I mean, I still take those are the men that that taught me everything I know. Rock yeah. and Rick and Dave Andrews, they taught me literally everything I know. And so that was 2000. Wow. So by 2001, um, I was on the air. And at some point, I remember I was walking around because I was also still the promotions assistant. So yeah. I was split my time, and I was walking around one day asking about sponsorships because I was putting together a list of things that on-air staff wanted as sellable features on their shows. Mm. And I was supposed to take that back to the sales staff. So I went into Dave and I said, is there anything else I can ask them for? And he was the morning show guy on the oldie station at the time. And he said, a co-host. And I was like, well, I'm available. (laughs) Right. I couldn't even stop myself from saying, I just, I just fell out of my mouth while I'm available. And I don't remember if it was the next day or a couple days later. It feels like it was the next day, yeah. right? They called me into um, my promotion director's office. She was at lunch or something, and they sat me down in her office and shut the door. And it was Rick and Dave. And they said, if you're serious, we want you to be Dave's co-host. Oh, So, yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> where I was. OMG. Now, up until then, I had done a couple little things on one of the morning shows on XL93 where I'd sat in, played a game, you know, I was, um, quote unquote intern, you know, they would yeah. call me intern, whatever that yeah. day, whatever, you know, it was always, whoever a, does the dumb stuff, right. Whoever does the <laughs> dumb stuff. Right. So, um, and I would go in on a, I would go in on the morning show, like every Friday morning and play this game called, I can't remember what it was called. Liar, liar. I think it was called mm. the three of us would each tell a story and one of us was lying and the, and oh. the listener would have to figure out who was lying. Yeah. Right. So, I had a little tiny bit of on-air experience, a little tiny bit, not much at all. Some weekend (laughs) shifts here and there, but that's it. Dave, um, Dave and Rick both thought that I could be a morning show co-host, which was huge. I mean, the morning show is like the Holy Grail in radio. So that was my first morning show. And I want to say that was 2000. 
2002. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2002, 2003. And then, um, so we did that, I think, for two years together. And it was, and my first radio name was Penny Lane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the best. I have my own theme music and everything. It was great. It was wonderful. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Do you remember <laughs> that? I had a really cool show open. It was, it was very, very fun. And um, so that was oldies radio, like yeah. oldies, oldies, like Temptations, mm-hmm. Four Tops, the Archies, you know, all that. So sugar, sugar. It was, it was that kind of oldies radio. Grandma's and music. Grandma's music. Yes. <laughs> the stuff that I grew up listening to because yeah. of your grandma, mm-hmm. you know, and I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And it was also my first experience working on a station that went all Christmas at the holidays. Oh, <gasps> how full circle. <laughs> how full circle. Yes. So, and then I also started at that time doing middays. Too. So I was Penny Lane throughout the day on Cool 100.3. You did, so you did the morning and I did the and morning the and the midday, but I wasn't live in the midday. The midday was yeah. recorded with the exception of the lunch hour. I did my Cool Cafe, all request lunch hour back then. When you were a little girl, do you remember coming on the show with me? Having so many flashbacks. You would like make me introduce songs. And yeah. I just like remember sitting on the counter playing computer games while you... <laughs> And opening paint for yeah. you on the computer yeah. so that, to keep you busy. Yeah. I mean, that's the one, the one thing that I remember most from Grand Forks, especially my early days in radio was how much you kids were involved. I was there all the time. You were there all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I was a single mom. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I didn't really have a choice when, especially like over Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell everybody what you used to do over Christmas break. It's not that big of a deal. It's I would just sleep deal. under the desk because she got up at the butt crack of dawn and dragged <laughs> me to a radio station. Yeah. I wasn't about to stay up. It's true. And I mean, a I lot of a times. pillow and a blanket. Yeah, you designated. did. And when you weren't sleeping under the studio table in the studio, like during the morning show, then you would sleep under my desk yeah, out in the front I office. I would transition from <laughs> in the studio to so right back to sleep child wrapped in a blanket. So I'll tell you what, I think that radio is probably one of the only industries where that kind of stuff could possibly happen. Yeah. Cause no way in hell would you be able to have come to work with me, right. you know, in any other situation. Wow. So you grew up in radio as much as I grew up in radio. That's true. Yep. <laughs> I still remember taking you to your first dance class down the street. It was right oh, around gosh. the corner from the radio station and you were three years old yeah. in a little pink ballet outfit. And we get to this? I, because it's just memory just popped into my head because you're talking about running around the radio station. And I, um, I brought you into the radio station and the guy who was on the air at the time was this great big dude, JT. Do you remember JT? Yes. Yeah. And JT, for whatever reason, I brought you in because I, I had a shift after your ballet class. Mm-hmm. So you were hanging out with me while I was on the air. And I was on the air live. You know, it was like a 12 to 3 shift or something like that, right? It was a little short yeah. shift. I was about to go do the weather. And JT jumped out and <gasps> scared you half to death. Oh my God. So I'm live on the air trying to get through the weather report. And my daughter is three years old and screaming bloody murder <laughs> in the background. And I remember shutting off the microphone and letting that man have it. Oh, like, gosh. please do not ever do that to me again. How, oh my, I can't, I can't believe you did. I was just yelling at him. Yeah. Oh my God. It's all coming back. To you. It's all coming back to you. Um, so I think about rock and Rick and I think about you and I think about oh, you God. and rock and Rick's um, perpetual game of tag. Yeah. You guys, every time you came into the radio station, you would tag him or he would tag you. Whose ever turn it was. Yeah. And that went on for years. Literal years. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sometimes yeah. he would walk by you and like throw a roll of paper towels at you just to tag you. Oh, it was an intense game. <laughs> it, it was. was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We haven't even gotten to Trevor yet. No, I know. I know. I was just thinking, <laughs> I, was try- I was just trying to figure out how do we transition? I know. Here we go. So uh, we were talking about um, the so old station. You were with station. Dave for two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, Dave and Penny had to end because... Um, so Trevor's co-host and my very, very best friend, Melody McCarthy. Uh, Melody had um, personal reasons for leaving the show. She was going to quit radio and be a stay-at-home mom. Yes. So um, they came to me and asked me if I would replace her on the show. And I jumped at it. Yeah. At first, I wasn't sure because I didn't want to leave Dave. You know? right. and, and Rick sat me down and he just kind of was like, listen, do you want to be... Um, he basically told me, it's not, this is not a legacy show. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be with Dave for 20 years. You know, this is how, basically, this is how the business works. And you are in the demo of the Top 40 station, and we want you to, to come over and be with Trevor. We think it'll be a good, a good chemistry, a good match. Yeah. Um, and I still remember it broke Melody's heart. She came to me, and she said, I'm happy for you, but now I know they're not going to beg me to come back. And I was just, it was That's really hard. It was really hard. And she yeah. didn't talk to me for a very long time. Yeah. And it was, it was tough. It was hard on I me. Mean, obviously we've, we've put that all yeah. in the past and, um, she's the best. She is the best. I've called like everyone the best, but she's the best. She is the best. Absolutely the best. But, and you know, and it was a bummer for Dave, but Dave got another co-host and her name was Brandy Alexander, which I thought was Fun. even, even cooler than Penny <laughs> Lane. Right. And she was great. Yeah. And she moved on. She's actually a program director in St. Cloud, Minnesota now. Oh, wow. Um, just, yeah, I just talked to her not too long ago. She's, she's kind of amazing. So move on, fast forward. So now I am on the air with Trevor D in the morning on yes. XL93, the station that I started <laughs> listening to years before when I moved to Grand Forks. And here I was, and the public was not crazy about the show. They weren't crazy about me at first. I remember it was a really hard time. I remember somebody called up and said that they'd heard I looked like the girl from Shallow Hal. What? And I got all excited. And I was like, oh, you mean Gwyneth Paltrow? And they're like, no, the fat one. Right? So, I mean, people. And back then, now you have to remember, back then, we're talking about 2002, 2003, 2004, in that sort of time span where there was no Facebook yet. There was no social media. There was no YouTube. There was no video chatting. There was no. You were just a voice. We were just a voice. And they hardly ever saw you. So people had to imagine what you might look like, right? And the rumors would fly. What is wrong with people? And what I thought back then, because it's how it played out in Grand Forks, was I thought it took about five years for people to really accept a morning show team. Mm-hmm. Because it took five years for us. We were on the air together for five years. And when I was getting ready to leave, it was right, <laughs> right around the time when everybody was like, no, no we love you. Yeah. Right? Um, but one of the cool things about um, Trevor, Trevor is... Trevor's to this day, I think the best co-host I ever had. Yeah, you guys were just magic together. I would <laughs> legit sell organs to get to do radio with him again. Yeah, I would because he's. I would sell organs for that to happen. <laughs> so he's. How many do you want? He's one of the most talented people in the world, yeah. and one of the funniest personalities on the radio, <laughs> hands down and off and off. Yeah, <laughs> he's just he's this quirky dry Canadian <laughs> who is hilarious 
You know what just just popped into my head because we just came oh down here after watching an episode of Shit's Creek. The best show also. David is Trevor. <gasps> Trevor is David. Oh my God. With just a little, Trevor's David with a little less flair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's just, he's that kind of guy. He's just endearing. Yeah. And uh, I used to say that Trevor was sneaky hot. Like you didn't really find him attractive. And then all of a sudden it just sort of snuck up on you. And you were like, huh, Trevor's awfully cute. What, like when you're drinking heavily? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe the beer goggles help sometimes. We had so many adventures. He had though. the best purple. He has the best purple hair. He has the best purple Still hair. Has it. Yeah. He's just, he's just, if you ever, okay, folks, if you're listening, get a chance <laughs> to look up XL93.com on, uh, on your phone or whatever and find Trevor D because, or you can find him on my social media too. Cause yeah. he's always popping in and out Harassing. of there. He's got some weird obsession with my mother. <laughs> it's been like that for 20 years. Perfectly normal. <laughs> it's perfectly normal. I mean, she has an obsession back. So. True that. True that. But what, um, one of the cool things about Trevor, though, was how he always treated you. Oh, by putting me in dumpsters? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, right. <laughs> I totally agree. Putting my it, shoes in the ceiling? He yes. was like the big brother you never wanted to have, right? Because you had this really- I already had a big brother, though, yeah. <laughs> that already did terrible things to me. <laughs> Didn't need another Trevor was like the older big brother, right? Yeah. Trevor was like, so- Trying to remember. So yeah, he would take her shoes. He would steal her shoes and put them up in the ceiling vents mm -hmm. so she couldn't get them. He would um, pick her up and then set her down in a large trash can. He'd do, he'd do that sometimes in public. Yeah. It was always in public. It was always in public. And he... I mean, it was at the station. I still remember one time we were at the, the Grand Forks Fair and we were, we were there running whatever prize wheel we were running and I asked you to throw something away and you had to sort of walk across a dirt sort oh of lane and Trevor gets on the microphone and he's like talking smack about you in the microphone. Like watch out for that girl. She smells bad or the whole know, fair. whatever Doesn't. it was. Yeah. To the entire fair. <laughs> and you were just like, really? And then you'd come back and kick him in the shins appropriately. Yes. Yep. So, but, but I think the, the, um, the point about Trevor is that he would literally cut himself open for you. That's true. You know, he really would to this day. Yes. To this day. All right. <laughs> so that was my life in Grand Forks. It was a good time. It was nine oh, years of radio. God. We could just talk about that. Like, we forever. really could. There's so many things. But we really could. How much time has gone by? Have we? Uh, we have. It's been 30 minutes. Wow. 30-ish. Okay. Do you have any other questions? <laughs> so that's how I got yeah, into I asked radio. One. <laughs> yeah. Like one. I can answer that. Okay. Um, I'm just sipping on Moscato. Which, by the way, your glass looks kind of empty. It does, yes. I I'll take care of that. Film. You come up with another question. All right. I'm trying to decide. Okay. So, obviously, so you moved to the East Coast in 2010. 2009. Gen 2009. July of 2009. I'm sorry. I was 10. That's always. Yeah. And it was a rough um, time for you kids. Yeah. But you didn't. We were talking about this the other day. You didn't work in radio for, what, like 18 months? 18 months. And then you started again. Mm -hmm. And you've been working in radio here ever since. Correct. And now you're the PD. Now yeah. you're Rockin' Rick. Now I'm doing what Rockin' Rick does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's Which true. I think is so awesome. Is there, like, I don't know. I feel like, obviously, radio has evolved a lot over time. Mm. But I'm also, like, wondering if there's any notable differences, like, 
being on the radio in like the Midwest in the middle of nowhere versus on the East Coast. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first major difference was that I worked at a five station cluster and every station was 100,000 watts because you were literally in the middle of nowhere, which no idea what that means. Put that I will put that into perspective. <laughs> the station that I work on now is about, I want to say, 3,500 watts. Oh, wow. So from going from a 100,000 watt station mm-hmm. where there was serious power behind your voice yeah. to going to a station in a more heavily populated area mm-hmm. um, with a lot less of a signal. Yeah, that's it's, weird. It is weird, but and it presents its own challenges, mm-hmm. but it also presents a lot of advantages. Like it's a very hyper local station, which is a completely different animal completely different animal and also it's a different format you know I've worked in Mm -hmm. just about every format there is I worked in so in Grand Forks there was a a world-class rock station a country station an oldie station um, album oriented rock is what it's called AOR Mm -hmm. and the top 40 station which was a top 40 rhythmic station so when I came here I took 18 months off because I thought that I was going to be a voiceover star (laughs) And I mean, you've done a lot of voiceovers. I've done work. a lot of voiceovers. Um, haven't gotten paid for a lot of those, but I've done a <laughs> lot of them. And the problem with that plan of mine is that I did not foresee the fact that the boyfriend was a pile of poo. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, my personal life took a major shit. Yeah. And so for for a long period of time, and you, you know, you kids were miserable, and you finally that was just a rough. Well, it was a rough few years and you guys bailed, which was smart on your part. (laughs) Um, But it left your mom kind of in a rough place emotionally. So I went through some I went through some garbage. And in in that time, um, he was drug addicted and didn't want to work for like three years. And the whole time I kept thinking I could go back into radio. I could go back into radio tomorrow. I can find a part time job and work my way back up. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never stepped into a management position in radio. You know, I've worked for three different clusters and I always start the same way. Start myself as a part-timer and I work my way up. (laughs) So I, um, I saw an ad for a morning show. Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking (laughs) to myself, Hey, I've got seven years of experience in mornings. I've got a pretty impressive resume. Let me throw this on this guy's desk. Um, didn't get it. Got offered a part-time fill-in position. Took it immediately because we needed the money and I needed I needed something to do because my kids didn't think I was cool anymore (laughs) my kids were like yeah she's just mom now and ew okay like that is severely exaggerated okay (laughs) it might be you'd have to ask your brother I don't know um but I went back to work so I was doing part-time on a country station and a rhythmic station and a classic rock station all at the same time wow there were days when you could literally follow me around the dial. I would work from <laughs> 10 to 2 on one station, 2 to 7 on another station, 7 to midnight on the other station. Oh. All three of them, I'd get like maybe a half hour to eat, but I'd be at the radio station from morning till midnight. Wow. And um, I did it. And I was, because I love radio. So yeah. I was I was in it. And eventually worked my way up to full-time status, uh, started doing uh, middays on the classic rock station, started doing afternoons on the rhythmic station. But the whole time I was there... I wanted mornings, you know, I wanted mornings because once you taste that morning show punch, Mm -hmm. you sort of feel like that's where you belong. And especially if you're good at it. And um, Trevor and I were really good at it. Mm -hmm. I still remember the day Rock and Rick called me up and said, how does it feel to be the number one show (laughs) in the market for the first time in 10 years? So Trevor and I took XL93 to number one for the first time in a decade. 
So for me coming into this area where nobody knew who I was, Mm -hmm. all I was going on was I had a great resume and a great air check and it felt like nobody, nobody read my resume and they might've listened to half my air check. They gave me a part-time job and they figured I was going to be happy with that. You know me. No, 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 no. And then things started to kind of go down the toilet at that radio station just in general. Yeah. A lot of drama and a lot of financial issues they were having. A lot of stuff happened. It was a dumpster fire. So, um, and I'm not the kind of person that sits in a sinking ship for very long, especially when I'm the only one paddling. So I um, got the hell out of there. And through some really, really, really brilliant connections that I made, (laughs) Um, I found the place that I am now, the home that, where I am now. And I remember, I remember still looking at the, um, uh, one of the station's websites and I remember seeing an all male lineup (laughs) and that's how I approached it. I said, I see you have a bunch of dudes, (laughs) perhaps you should diversify. (laughs) And they, they bought it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a good selling point. I figured it was. Yeah. I figured it was. So, um, but, and you know, one of the other weird things about my career is I've never not done two shows a day. I've always start, yeah. done mornings and middays or middays and afternoons or, I mean, I've always done two shows a day. Just kind of who I am as a person. Wow. I, yeah. need, I need for whatever reason to fill space. <laughs> I need to be a big, you know. That's and, so funny because I always think about that. I'm like, gosh, you do too. And I'm just thinking about like all the other people that you worked with and I'm never you don't see that much you don't see it very much except you see it um when er, whenever I leave somewhere it mm-hmm. seems like whoever takes my place ends up with the same situation because that's yeah. what I left open mm-hmm. so that's what needs to be filled right and you need a person that can do that and yeah. um I'll say this not a lot of dudes want to have they don't have the desire to do that for but for whatever reason it's way more common with females in radio to do more than one show a day Mm-hmm. That's because we're just more, um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, <laughs> what's the word? What's the know. word I'm looking for? I'm grasping for a word. You're like, I don't know. Used to having to do more than is necessary. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know, and just as a generation of women yeah. and women in radio, I think, too, struggle with a lot of that where you feel like you have to work twice as hard yeah. as the guys to get half as far. Exactly. Um, when I, I remember, obviously for a lot of industries, it is. And when I was over at the other station, like I said, I applied for a morning job, didn't get it. Mm -hmm. The next time a morning job came open, I went again to the PD and said, look, you know, my resume, seven years of morning, successful morning show experience, put me in coach. And he looked me in the eye and he said, if I wanted a female on the morning show, I'd put you there. And I just remember being like, because first of all, it didn't make sense to me. It, yeah. To me, it was just about experience and what you bring to the table. It right. shouldn't matter yeah. what gender. You don't even think about that. I don't think about that yeah. because I don't see myself as subpar exactly. to a man. You're not a different category. No, but in radio, and, and you'll find this too, obviously, and you've probably already found this too, in, mm-hmm. um, in a career such as acting, mm-hmm. you're going to get passed over for roles because they think a man would fit better. Mm-hmm. But you've already played a role that was originally cast as a man. Well, yeah. And you killed it, by the way. You absolutely killed it. Thank you. Um, you know, but, it, but it's kind of the same thing where the program director has a certain sound in their head 
and they're not going to deviate from that. Right. They want a man's voice coming out of the radio that morning. And for whatever reason, they think that that's best instead of giving it to the best qualified candidate, yeah. regardless of gender, which what perfect sense. it does make perfect sense to me. And what I'm super, super, super lucky about is that it makes sense to my GM now. Yes. When he brought me on, um, when I approached them and said, basically, mm-hmm. you don't have any females on your station. Do you want one? <laughs> um, he and the other PD at the time sort of kind of looked at each other and they were like, hmm. And they came back to me. They were like, well, we just have part time for you right now. But um, but give us a week because we're going to we're coming up with something. And they came to me and their their host of the morning show on the country station that I'm on now. Thunder 104.5. Denny Moore mm-hmm. was close to retirement. He was ready to retire. Yeah. In fact, I think the day I met him, he told me exactly how many days he had left. <laughs> it was like five, 536 days left or something. I can't remember what it was, but he was counting oh, them wow. down. So they approached me and said, we want you to be Denny's co-host. And then when Denny retires, it'll be up to you to choose a co-host, mm-hmm. which to me was huge. It was huge. You were Trevor D. <laughs> well, and it's funny, too, because when I got the job with Trevor D, I had to fight to get my name on the show. I remember being like, well, this oh, isn't yeah. this isn't fair because I had come from the Dave and Penny show right. to the Trevor D in the morning show. And I was like, well, hold up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Wait just one minute. I'm doing just as much work as he is. Yeah. I deserve to be in the title of the show. And I got my way because mm-hmm. they realized that, you know, I was right. So when I got here, it was um, more in the morning. And they yes. changed it to more in the morning with Crystal Blue. So I got my name on the show. And then when Denny retired, um, the task of choosing a co-host thrown in my lap. I'd never yeah. done it before. I remember watching you go through that. That was quite a It was a nationwide process. talent search. Yeah. And it was a huge process because I didn't know what I wanted, mm-hmm. what would fit the audience. I didn't know the market very well yet. Yeah. So that was another problem. Like I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. So what I did was I flew to Chicago for morning show boot camp, which is mm-hmm. like a big morning show conference type thing that happens every year. Mm-hmm. And I had a conversation with Rick Rumble, who works down in um, Virginia Beach. Very, very well-known, legendary DJ. He's incredible and what a great mentor. And he gave me some very sage advice. He said, don't look for a radio personality. Look for a, a personality. Look for a comedian. Go around, your, yeah. go around your town. See if you find any characters, anybody. It doesn't have to, you know, basically he told me to think outside the box. Don't concentrate on someone who's been in radio for a long time look for somebody that you can mold into what the audience wants it to yeah. be right so <laughs> I did that yeah damn it <laughs> I did that <laughs> I did that and yeah. it was a really really good show unfortunately um yeah. that particular co-host who was incredibly talented and very 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 good at his job just decided one day he no longer wanted to do it yeah um it happens man that was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do was come to the realization that it was yeah. time to let go of that. Yeah, exactly. Like knowing when. I felt to, like such a failure. Yeah. Oh, God, I felt like such a failure. Because right. all that falls on you. When I felt like it did. Yeah. I took it very personal. Yeah. And um, I realize now it, and didn't, it doesn't, obviously, but that's right. what it looks like. Oh, yeah. And to, to be the one left over in the aftermath. Right. Because there were some very unhappy cougars in town. <laughs> Who were very angry with me. Of course. Because they saw it as my doing. Yeah. And unfortunately. Because obviously they would know what goes on. 
Well, and you get this sort of perception from, you know, you listen to a show every morning and you think you know the people yeah. who are talking to you. You really do. You think you, um, you know, you start to connect with them and yeah. you, and you Which feel. Which is good. Mm-hmm, that's what we want. Yeah. But the reality of the situation is you don't necessarily always know the whole story. Mm-hmm. What's going off, what's going on on the air is not necessarily what's going on off the air. Yeah. And unfortunately it just became a very toxic situation and yeah. that, um, it sucked. That was the mm-hmm. hardest decision I had to make. And it took 18 months for me to come to terms with yeah. the fact that it needed to be done. <gasps> um, so, but moving forward, I ended up trying to, and I'm still trying to, I'm two years mm-hmm. into my first solo morning show. I think that's just the coolest thing ever. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. And you still have Paul, and that's the important I have thing. Paul, I have Penny, <laughs> and I have lots and lots of wonderful regular guests, including yeah. my own sweet husband, who gets up early every Monday morning and comes on the show. I love your show. Thank I you. I just, yeah, like, especially just, like, all the people you have on, like, I feel like it's just Crystalline so company. interesting. Exactly. Like, that's, I don't know, I feel like that's a really unique thing, because it's, you know, like, yeah. two people co-hosting, but, like, I like the Crystalline company. You never know Idea. who's coming through the door. Yeah. It's like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, exactly. but on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Rogers. Who will we speak to today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I mean, I wish there were even more ways to get into that, but um, I have to, a lot of times I have to draw, my, draw myself back and remind myself that it's not about me. It's about the music. Right. And people don't want to hear me talk a whole bunch in the morning. People want to hear the music. Mm-hmm. They want the information. They want to know how the roads look. They want to know what the latest news is. And so I... It took a lot for me to step back because I think in radio, um, there's a level of narcissism that comes with being a radio personality. Yeah. You have to have the confidence to sit in a room by yourself. And just talking to the void. Literally <laughs> talking to the walls. Yeah. <laughs> and it's never been more apparent than it is right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because I can't have my guests in studio right yeah. now. And you're literally in a dark corner staring mm-hmm. at a black at a wall. wall. at a wall and it's very difficult for me so I think now thank god for social media yeah because I've been in a very dark place Mm -hmm. a couple of times throughout the last month you know I mean it started in January for me really because in January a lot of my friends lost their jobs yeah because one of the biggest radio conglomerates in the country just slashed something like 1200 jobs and most of them were in programming so most of them were on-air personalities mm-hmm. it was really hard to watch and I had a lot of survivor's guilt at that right, point because yeah. I remember sitting here going why am I still here mm-hmm. and all these incredibly talented people are just getting dropped and I'm like I'm doing nothing special yeah. here I am with the world literally in the palm of my hand like I have my own radio show I'm doing um, you know what I feel like are things that make a difference in my community mm-hmm. and I get this opportunity and I, I, how come I deserve this? You know, I didn't imposter think I did. Imposter syndrome. Oh, hardcore. Hardcore imposter syndrome. Like they're all going to find out I'm a fraud one day yeah. and they're going to lambaste me. They're going to crucify me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the hardest things to come to terms with. But then on the, on the backside of that, all of a sudden now we have this pandemic, this yeah. worldwide pandemic, which is affecting radio, I think, in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Because radio still has to keep going. We don't yeah. have the option to just switch off the station. And so much of what you do is about, you know, what's going on locally and mm-hmm. events and all the yeah. stuff. And 
we were supposed to be doing all gone. kinds of stuff and now it's all gone and yeah we had a very busy 2020 plan yeah. and now we're just sort of sitting here twiddling our thumbs waiting and I yeah. think that's the worst part and like what do you say to people you know that's the hardest thing too because I ha- I mean there are days where I just did not want to even get out of bed yeah and I didn't have a choice I had to get out of bed not only do I have to get out of bed I have to go into work and I have to sound like I am informed yeah like I am happy upbeat encouraging positive right energy I can't go on the air and be like Ugh. this sucks <laughs> I don't want to be here you know what yeah. I mean but there are days when I don't want to be there yeah and I turn off the microphone and I'm crying yeah and oh my god when John Prine died yeah when first when when Kenny Rogers died mm. then Joe Diffie died then John Prine died and I think it was the John the death of John Prine that really hit me so so hard because First of all, it was the third week in a row that I had to deliver bad news. Right. Where somebody beloved was dead. Mm-hmm. And two out of three times it was um, because of this damn virus. Yeah. But John Prine had an extra level of sadness to it because my dad mm-hmm. sang John Prine songs to me when I was a kid. When I was a teenager growing up, he would sing them to me to be funny. He would... You know, it was Dear Abby, Dear Abby. Yeah. And he would sing the songs where he would sing the, um, uh, when I, uh, when I, please don't bury me down in that cold, cold ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather have you cut me up and pass me all around. <laughs> yeah. You know, he would sing these songs oh to gosh. me. That's the song. <gasps> wow. Okay. That just hit me. That's so crazy. Yeah. You, yeah. Because you've heard Grandpa you, sing it too, and yeah, I sing it. Yeah. You sing it to me all the time, and you're like, Grandpa sings a song, and then I've heard him sing it. And it's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, throw my brain in a hurricane. We would, yeah, we would sing that in the car. Yep, oh, God, that's so funny. And so when, so when John died, it was um, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, I, I got to work that morning, and I had done, I had done a Kenny, Kenny Rogers, Kenny Rogers <laughs> tribute. Yeah, I had done a Joe Diffie tribute because I had tons of music, tons of their music. So I mm-hmm. took requests and I did all that. But I knew going into the morning after John Prine died, I knew going into that morning that I did not have the music to back me up. I did not have that. And I, I thought, God dang it. I just wish I had a couple of John Prine songs. I got in there that morning and I looked, I opened up the catalog and there were four of them. Oh, wow. And one of them was Angel from Montgomery, which everybody knows and everybody's been covering since, since his death. So I didn't want to play that one, even though it's a beautiful song. Yeah. But then I saw Dear Abby and that was one of the songs that my dad sang. And I didn't even think about it. I didn't preview it. I didn't listen to it first. I just slipped it right into (laughs) the music. I put it right in and I started my show with, unbeknownst to me, a five minute long live version (laughs) of John Prine's Dear Abby. And I sat there listening to it. And my first thought was, I am going to get in so much trouble for this. (laughs) And my second thought was, no, I'm not because it's 5 a.m. and the boss ain't listening. And then my third thought was, oh, my God, John Prine is gone. And I immediately broke. And then so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this song that I can hear my dad singing in my head. And I start crying. And the song is coming to an end. And I have to turn the microphone on. And I have to deliver the news for people who haven't heard it that the world has lost one of the most prolific singer-songwriters of our time. That was hard. That's the first time I've ever cried on the air. I hope nobody heard it. Uh, <laughs> you know, because know. Um, it, because then what do you do? You So you do that break. You cry. You let people in. Then you turn the microphone off. You 
grab a cup of suck it up. Yeah. You shake it off, man, because you got three songs. Yeah. And you got to get your head on straight. Mm-hmm. But you got a show to do. Yeah. And your choice. that's my reality. The show must go on. The show must go on. If anybody knows about that, is you. <laughs> you know, the show must go on. And, and, and it did. Yeah. And it's still going. And, I mean, that was just a week ago. So now I'm just like, what's going to happen this week that I'm going to have to? <sighs> yeah. yeah. And th- this, this whole time has been so weird. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing in this scary time, in this, this strange time, strange time, in this, in this frightening and unsure time. It, yeah. Right. Because in, in it's stressful because no. we, yeah. And I think one of my listeners said it best. He said, you can only drink so much Corona until you puke. And I have been carrying that with me. He called me up one morning and he said, thank you for the music. And thank you for being a place where I can come and escape the news. Yeah. He said, because you can only drink so much Corona mm-hmm. until you puke. And I was all of that is at your fingertips constantly, yeah. whenever you want it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, you need something to. Yeah. yeah. And music does that. Music speaks yeah, when exactly. you can't find the words. And music mm-hmm. is that escape mm-hmm. that you can count on. Yeah. Which is why it's so devastating right now that there is no live music. You can't right. go to a concert right now. It's almost, you know, it's almost summertime. And yeah. we've got nothing. Concert season. It's almost concert season and we've got nothing. We have no tickets to give away. We have no fun contests to do. We have, we were so stacked and jacked yeah. about 2020 concert season because it was going to be huge. Yeah. It was, it was the Rascal Flats farewell tour. It was the Brooks and Dunn reunion tour. I mean, and they're all just like, pfft. it was hot country nights for the love of God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we had so much to look forward to. The Dixie Chicks were about to oh announce a tour. You know what I mean? Like, so there were so many things that yeah. were coming down the pike and people didn't even realize it. And yeah. then all of a sudden everything just legit went to shit. Now it's just up in the air. and mm-hmm. uh, Well... I, for one, am very proud of you. Thank you. I honestly don't know if I could do what you're doing. You could. I have the utmost confidence that you could absolutely do it. I'm just, I'm very, very proud of you. Thank you. I think you're great. Thank you. For the record. For the record. (laughs) I hope this is still recording. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Just kidding. I would start screaming. How much, where are we at on time? Do you know? Uh, We like at 55 minutes wow look at us go and we've gotten to two questions yep that was two whole questions <laughs> i'm sorry this is no, what happens when you so do a good. podcast with me because i'm know. used to hosting it i know i'm sorry i know this is all that i wanted I just wanted to hear all about you i do <laughs> you know i feel like this is kind of a cheesy question but do you have any advice for young people wanting to get into your industry don't do it no right, I'm just that's kidding. what i thought no and goodbye you know, <laughs> you know and it's funny that you asked that because because um right now especially a lot of people again are getting laid off and i know yeah. a lot of my colleagues are sitting there wondering do i continue this pursuit of whatever this radio yeah, thing like is. is it even gonna go on i feel like and this is a complete prediction on my part i feel like we are going to find out who is important and who is not when it comes to radio. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean corporate radio versus locally run and op- family operated yeah. stations. Mom and pop stations yeah. is what um, I hear a lot of the bigger talent call stations like ours. Yeah. But here's this, here's the difference between stations like ours and stations like theirs. They don't see them. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you're sitting in a corporate office. It's about what's going to make the most money. What's going to be keeping us afloat. What's yeah. going to keep our bills paid. Mm-hmm. And the less people they have in those little stations around the country, as long as the place keeps running. Yeah. And the thing about radio people is that they are so goddamn resilient mm-hmm. that they will take on 14 jobs to keep that station running because yeah. they love what they do. It is their blood. It is yeah. their breath and their lungs. And so they will take on all of that extra work for no extra pay just to keep the doors open, the lights yeah. on, and those radio stations running. Yeah. And that's the problem. Because when five people can run a station that 25 people used to run, why would I bring back those other 10 people? What do I need them for? You know what I mean? Yeah. I probably didn't do that math right, but you understand. <laughs> the advantage that we have as a locally owned radio station is that our owner is constantly looking for ways to make sure he holds on to every last person yeah. in that building. And I'm so lucky to say mm-hmm. that at no time am I afraid that I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. And in a corporate radio setting, at all times, <laughs> no you're afraid security. you're going to lose your job. Yeah. And that's what sucks about it. So if mm-hmm. I had to say to someone who's just trying to get into radio, who's just starting out, I would say seek out those mom and pop stations. Okay. Those are the stations that are going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Those are the stations that care about you. Those are the stations that are going to coach your talent, you know, your talent. Yeah. They're going to allow you to grow. They're going to experiment with you. They're going to let you try new things. Yeah. They're not going to care if you're a guy or a girl. Yeah. They're going to give you the opportunity based on what you do for yeah. them. Not going to like try to fit you into their mold. They're right. going to see what are your talents and what do you yeah. have to offer. And They're a lot more willing to in- invest in their people. Yeah. And in the same light, most people get into radio because they want to make a difference in their community. Mm -hmm. You can't do that when you're voice tracking from a thousand miles away. Yeah, exactly. But you can do that when you go to where I have a six mile commute. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I work six miles from my house. Yeah. And for the majority of people that I work with, the same is true. Mm -hmm. We all live right here in the city. And that's what's going to set us apart from the corporate radio stations. Mm -hmm. And you're part of the excited. community. Yep. Yep. People know who we are. We go to the grocery store and <laughs> I could have my hair in a bun and no makeup Crystal! on and a hangover. And somebody's <laughs> going to go, love your show, <laughs> which I love. I love. I love. Please never stop doing that. Never stop doing that. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I would say. That's the advice I would give. I would say don't seek out that yeah. brass ring. Because you know what? A lot of times it's not worth it. Yeah. It's not. I have seen people go from market 155 to market number one, New York City. And guess what? They still get laid off when yeah. a Christian station comes in and shuts down a station that's been running for 50 years. WPLJ in New York City just ended, I think it was in 2019. And I cried. I watched them go off the air on Facebook and I cried. And I have never listened to the radio station, but I knew people that worked there and I had mad respect for their talent. And they were some huge, huge, huge personalities. And one day they're just out of a job and they've got no control over that situation. And that's where it's like that. To me, that's a, it's a shame because Mm -hmm. the people don't matter to those big corporate radio stations. The people don't matter. And, and so that's my advice. Mm -hmm. That's look really for the advice. look for the small stations, damn it! Because yeah. you know what? Eventually, I think those are going to be the only ones yeah. left standing after all this is over. And those are the ones that actually make a difference, like you were saying. Like, and I used to say this community. to my interns. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. But you're fine. I used to say this to my interns all the time. Um, it, 
the audience is not going to remember that you were at the uh, cell phone store from three to five last Saturday, mm -hmm. but they're going to remember that you helped stuff a school bus full of school supplies yeah. that lasted the entire year mm -hmm. for the school district. Yeah. They're going to, they're not going to remember those silly little, you know, the grand openings and the ribbon cuttings and things like that, but they're going to remember that you got them backstage to see their favorite mm -hmm. artists. Mm-hmm. You, they're going to put that up on their Facebook page cover photo and there's you, you're going to be standing there <laughs> next to that listener and they are going to love you forever. You're going to be, you're going to have a lifelong fan mm -hmm. because you said yes yeah. when everybody else said no. And people love it when they know you. Oh too. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I love it because I love it too, even though I'm terrible at names <laughs> and, and um, you know, we just, we see so many people that I don't yeah. get to, but the people that I do get to connect with, like yeah. really, really make a connection with, man, I, I love them like family. Yeah. I love that. That's My whole leg is asleep, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure mine will be too. I just haven't moved. <laughs> I moved. Oh, and oh, there's gosh. our timer. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you want your own podcast yeah. now? Uh. <laughs> She's like, no. Nah. Nope, sure don't. Thanks though, mom. Keep asking questions. What what other questions? We you know, we don't have to stop at an hour. Nobody says we I have to. Say, I have nothing to say. <laughs> you have nothing to say. You have so much to say and I can't wait for the world to hear every last bit of it. I'm very excited for you and your impending career and your education and everything. Your education. Your education and eventually <laughs> you will be back in New York City and I am, you know what I think the biggest takeaway from my career in radio is mm -hmm. that I was able to look my kids in the eyes when they asked me what I thought they should do with their life. And I was able to say, do what makes you happy yeah. instead of saying you better have a plan B. Yeah, I've, that's, that's one thing like I always say when people, you know, ask me about my career choices. I'm like, I've been so lucky. Like you've never how to say it you've never like thought what I it was stupid like you because it's not stupid yeah it's a legitimate career choice yeah. <laughs> and here here and I and I said this the other day on social media and I'll say it again because I think it's so important right now um we're all sitting in self-quarantine mm -hmm. but what are we doing we're listening to music watching Netflix. we're watching television shows we're yeah. watching movies we are watching YouTube videos. Yeah. What are we doing? We are leaning on the artists. Reading. We're reading. Yeah. yeah. So we're leaning on the artists. If the artists didn't exist, then what the hell would we be doing right now? Yeah. So don't ever discourage someone who comes to you and says, yeah. I want to do something in the arts. You say, please do, because that's what's saving the world right now. Yeah. And like, yeah, I don't know. I understand, obviously, wanting to do something that is going to give you security but it's like we're we're here you know mm -hmm. why would you not at least try to do the thing that makes you the happiest like what else yeah what is the point what do I always tell you guys I always tell you find something you love mm -hmm. and find, find a, a way, way to, to make, make money, money doing it mm -hmm. yep and that is the trick to being happy and, you know, they always say, oh, you find something you love. You never work a day in your life. Well, yeah. you do work. You have to work. Yeah. If you do not work <laughs> at it, yes. you will not keep it. Exactly. We've seen a perfect example of that. It's not we worth it if you don't work for it also. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. You have to earn those stripes. But at the same time, mm -hmm. if it's something that you love, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Because it's not their life. It's your life. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, seriously. And I think the reason, and I think parents are guilty of this most. I think the reason people say to you, oh, you know, are you sure? Yeah. You know, that's going to be a really hard career. That's going to be really tough. It's because people don't want to see you disappointed. Yeah. Because that's, that's what it is. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's more, it's more out of love mm-hmm. for you and wanting to see you happy. Yeah, definitely. But what they don't understand is that if you didn't get to follow that dream, you <laughs> would be miserable. Exactly. Yeah. So the only way for you to be happy is to go out like, and chase it. I would rather be miserable and like be trying to do what I want than yeah. this. I mean, you've already at the age of 21 had a couple of jobs that made you crazy, that made you miserable. <laughs> you know, some customer service jobs, food couple. service jobs where yeah. you're just like, this is a nightmare. The worst. The worst. So I think that um, pursuing your dreams is the name of the game. But yeah, it does come with a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work. Because I mean, look at I um, sacrifice a lot for radio, but Mm -hmm. here we are hanging out in our basement studio, (laughs) which is pretty damn cool. Yeah. And um, hard work pays off, man. Can I tell you one of my favorite memories? Please. Your radio. Yes. (laughs) Were you in a trash can? Yes, that's it. (laughs) That was it. Um. Just, I mean, besides just, you know, people in general, but being backstage at Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh, my gosh. And then being on stage with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. <laughs> um, yeah, so a little backstory. <clears throat> Do you remember how old you were? Gosh, that would have been. so young. I don't know. You were maybe like seven, eight years yeah. old. Um, Trans-Siberian Orchestra used to come through town all the time on their way to Winnipeg. Uh, right around November something, right? And so they were just kicking off the big holiday tour. And if you know anything about Trans-Siberian Orchestra, you know that whenever they come to town, they take a dollar off of every ticket sale and they give it to a local charity. So it was our job at the radio station. They always work with radio stations. They're so fantastic to radio stations. They, They want you to come on stage with them and present the check to the local charity. Well, I got the job that night and I got to bring my kids which my son was very, and still, I hope still is, very into music. Yeah, I think that was like when he was just starting to get into it. Yeah, he was starting to really discover like the joy of playing guitar and things like that. So he's talking to the the musicians, Mm -hmm. right? And they're giving him sage (laughs) advice about don't learn to play guitar, kid. Learn to play piano. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. And yeah, and you got to come out on stage with us. And we're talking about an arena that probably had... 10 to 12,000 people in it. That's insane. And the spotlight just comes <laughs> yeah, blaring into your blinded. face. Yeah. <laughs> you're completely blinded, but you got to yeah. do something that not very many other kids can say they've done, you know, and you yeah. got to do that a couple times. You know, yeah. I like to think that one of the things that you started doing in radio continued into your adulthood. And that is, um, modeling. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I shouldn't even say my favorite part. Obviously the wedding shows were my favorite part, but yeah, (laughs) there's so many things. Our our radio station always put on these huge elaborate wedding and prom (laughs) shows with fashion shows and things like that. And Emily, when she was two years old was the first time she modeled in the fashion show. And so she grew up doing the flower girl dresses and then it was the junior bridesmaids dresses. And she went on once we got here to work for smash show company models I was so much less nervous when I was seven. Really? (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh. I I just remember you were so angry every time you had to give the dress back. I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> All I think of is just that picture of me just like standing there in this ball gown with my arms crossed. On stage. So pissed. Rolling your eyes <laughs> because you were done. You were over it. Over this was it. your like sixth or seventh dress <laughs> of the day. And you were tired and yeah, you were just a little kid yeah. and you were like, this is not fun anymore. This yeah. is bullshit. <laughs> and they're all day. Yeah. So, you know, loved getting my hair and makeup done. Loved trying on the dresses. And like by then I was like, all right, let's go. Yeah. All right. We're done. <laughs> Where's my hot pocket? <laughs> Get me out of here, mom. I need And then and Eddie would just be in that back room the entire day. Just chilling out. Hanging. Watching pretty girls walk by. Yeah. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> oh, poor kid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny because when you started talking about what your favorite moment and you went you went with a backstage moment, I honestly thought you were going to say getting to meet Martina McBride. Oh my god! See, okay, now I feel dumb. No, why do you feel dumb? Because <laughs> there, I just keep thinking like that was yeah. kind of like one of the things that pops into my head all the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, freaking Martina McBride. Yeah, uh, you were like seven. You wrote her a letter. Do you remember that? Yes, oh my you gosh. gave it to her. Yeah. <gasps> But you've been a part of a lot of really cool things yeah, since we've been really here in Virginia, have. too. You got to yeah. film my interview with Michael Ray, which is still to this day that one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. He's, he was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. um, you got to film my my interview with Frankie Ballard. Yeah. Remember that? That mm -hmm. was a fun time, too. His little snakeskin boots. His little <laughs> snakeskin boots that were falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> He's so great. But, yeah, so, I mean, those kind of moments, like – that's the unique experience of being yeah. a kid growing up in radio too. Definitely unique mm -hmm. childhood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could go from one day being backstage at a concert to the next day being stuck in a conference room carving 27 pumpkins yep. for a promotion. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I Building do. parade floats, getting dressed up as one of the Joker's little clown Parades were so much fun. Too. Yeah, we always had so much fun in the parades. I remember the time that you made me fall off the float. Do you remember that? Anyway, yes, I do. <laughs> Moving Fate on. Of my existence. No, right. it's not. My baby girl. Anyway. So we're riding down the parade route, uh. and I'm in, I'm in a football uniform, right? I had like football pads on. Yeah, you had yeah. full body football. Full body football pads. Which, if you've ever worn football pads, like the big old fashioned football pads, they don't really do much for your center of gravity. Like your your equilibrium's a little off. Because you have these giant football pads on, right? And I was a small girl. Yeah. <laughs> My, what, you must have been like three, three or four years old. Oh, yeah. You couldn't have, you weren't very old. You were tiny. But you were upset because you had to stand on the side of the road with your dad <laughs> You couldn't get on the parade flow with me. So as we drove by you, I noticed there's my daughter across the street crying, sobbing. just sobbing. And so what do I do in my infinite wisdom? I think I'm going to just jump down off the parade float, run over there, give her a quick hug. She'll be fine. And I'll get back on the parade float. So mind you, the parade float is moving. And I'm in giant football pads. I jump off and immediately land on my behind because <laughs> I'm in backwards. Like I fell yeah. on my back. Oh. <laughs> At least I didn't fall on my face. I know, you know? I can see it in my head right now. But I went backwards because the momentum, my feet were still moving one direction. My football pads went the other. It was Oof. very embarrassing. But I got up. I hugged my little girl. I know. The dedication. The dedication. Aww. I got back on that damn parade float. that much more. <laughs> Also, for the record, I just want to say that the guys were dressed up as cheerleaders. They were. <laughs> they were. We, uh, yeah, we, we was it one. was a role-playing football. We did lots of fun stuff. Yeah. Togas. We did togas one year. I was tied to a chair on a float one time. Mm -hmm. and, yep. Yep. 
surprising that one. That was a fun time. <laughs> Superheroes. I've been um, Batgirl. I've been, yeah, mm-hmm. parade floats are fun. You know, yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing. When I chose radio way back in high school, <laughs> let me just tell you this, because I'm, here's a secret about Crystal Blue. Oh, gosh, here we go. I am an introvert. <laughs> are you? I am. And uh, I got into radio thinking I would be able to sit in a room by myself and talk yes. to the walls. Something that not too long ago I was just lamenting. Yep. But the <laughs> fact of the matter is no one tells you about all the public appearances you have to make. Nobody tells you that you're going to be in parades. Nobody tells you about remote broadcasts and grand openings. And, hey, you're going to have to get in the middle of a wrestling ring and bring out the stars of WWE SmackDown in front of a room full of, like, 16, 17,000 people. Oh, and by the way, they're all going to be yelling at you to get the hell out of the ring. Yep. Have fun with that. Nobody tells you any of that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> On that note. Radio is the bomb and I wouldn't do anything else. So that's my musical journey. We didn't even like dive into much, did we? I know. Like, I feel like there's so much more. There is. Who knows? Maybe in our quarantine days, we'll do another podcast. Yeah, we should. But we should wrap this one up. What do you say? You're the host of the show. You tell me. Are we wrapping it up? I'm thinking like another 20 minutes of crows screeching. Crows screeching because we just watched Shit's Creek. But you know what? (laughs) <laughs> um, we've got the finale to go watch the series finale. Oh my Christ. Are you even ready? No, I'm not. Not even ready. 0% ready. 0% ready. Ew, David. Ew, David. <laughs> it's the best show ever. It is a really great show. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this was a fun idea. Yeah. It was fun. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you being quarantined with me. I'm really glad you're here. I'm just, I know, am on a too. As much as I miss New York, I'm very, very, very thankful to be here. Yeah, you guys and I feel like you got out in the nick of time. I really did. Yes. So even though I know that you're really looking forward to getting back to your city, yeah. I'm glad you're here. My city. So, <laughs> do we have a message for the audience at the end I don't here? Know. She's still like, here. I don't know. Yeah, we um, <laughs> we send our thanks. Let's let's thank. I I definitely want to send our thanks out to everybody who's keeping things running right now. Uh, we have a lot of friends who are nurses. Mm-hmm. And um, I've talked to them. They're so exhausted, every last one of them. So thank you so much for being out there on the front lines. It's funny because they call us in radio first informers. And um, that just feels weird to me. Yeah. Like we're something important. I'm an (laughs) essential personnel, whatever. I I get it that um, bringing the information to people is important. Mm -hmm. Bringing the music to people is important. And but I don't fool myself into thinking that my job is not something that I could flip a switch and and just play a bunch of music for you right. and not go in if I had to. Yeah. That's the reality of the situation. Yeah. There are people out there that our, our world would come to an end without them. So to all of yes. you, thank Very you thankful. so, so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Words and music.